And even beyond just the roles that you play in your family, you have to think about the assets you have. Maybe you have a primary mortgage and your spouse wouldn't be able to handle that debt without your income. Maybe it's rental properties and you've got tenants and people who are dependent on that income. Mm -hmm. If you plan to take care of your parents as they age, you want to make sure that you have a policy that kind of takes into consideration all of those plans and protects the risk that you may not be able to fulfill them. the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today we're talking about life insurance. Yes. Life insurance. Fascinating. Thrilling space. You know what? You have a very different relationship with insurance as a whole. You come from a long line of insurance (laughs) people, insurers and truck people. Like that's your family basically in a nutshell. I do not. This has always been a really interesting subject for me, but we're continuing with our financial literacy month. So we're diving deep into some of these core foundational topics, uh, deep dives, whatever you want to call it. But um, we're talking about it because it's important. It's certainly something that comes up a lot in many of the conversations and the people that we meet within our own family. Sometimes it comes up. And so we think it's something that to an extent needs to be, I won't say demystified, but like clarified because I think there's a general it's gotten confusing it's gotten confusing there are new products out there people are pushing it on different platforms you know who you are so (laughs) we wanted to sort of provide reinforce sort of the foundations a little bit and I think for those who are confused clarify what are some of the core differences between two of the let's say bigger more well-known more popular insurance products Yeah, like I I do come from a long line of insurance people. My mom, dad and brother all work in insurance. Now, they are on the commercial side of insurance. But the way that they have explained risk, underwriting, claims process, like it all kind of is the same. This is obviously personal and more emotional. But the the basis of the industry is a big old calculator. right? So I think if I had a list of favorite financial tools, life insurance would probably be definitely be in the top three and like not two or three more than likely. Yeah. It's interesting because when I think about uh, my own personal journey to wealth building and even my early introduction to personal finance, this was, and I think I said this before, but like one of the topics that was top of mind for me that I felt like, man, if you really want to be savvy, you really want to be good at money, you got to master taxes. But I would have to say a close number two would have to be like understanding insurance. And I have always had, I mean, not now, but back then, I just remember having a very real insecurity about it because it was so much jargon and so many big words and I didn't understand it and I knew it needed to come out on my paycheck. I didn't know what it did. Like it was just all this stuff. I had to carry around a card and there were things that would come in the mail and it was just so much words and documents. Like It was just a lot. And then specifically as it relates to life insurance, I remember having it uh, as an employee benefit. This was when we first started out on my corporate career. Uh, And then I also remember when I left corporate, deciding that, oh, wow, actually, I need to go ahead and buy it now. And I felt so much more comfortable buying it because I had done so much of work to sort of get back onto my own understanding of what it takes to be good at money and, you know, those kinds of things. But it was really, really interesting. When I decided to buy uh, life insurance for the first time, it was actually a really scary moment. It was shortly after our son was born. And I remember coming home and I was just shook because I picked him up from the airport and I was so 
scared because there was like a car that like torpedoed like right in front of us. I mean, I was like five seconds away from being sandwiched in between a wall and this car. Till this day, I don't know what would have. I mean, it, it looked like a kamikaze car. Like I have no idea what was happening, why it had hung a left and crashed and come across the lane. But all of that to say it went from being on my list of things to do to things that were done like within the next 24 to 48 yes. hours. Cause I was like, I'm, it's not worth it. It's too simple. Go ahead yes. and get it done. And so for me, it was a bit fear induced. And so hopefully for somebody else that might be out there that sees these kinds of things every single day, especially if you just watching the news, let's just be honest. Like it's a crazy world out there. So I think that there's, I guess the point I'm making is there are more than enough reasons to get it done. And my hope is that we can hopefully push someone to kind of clarify the decision and get it done sooner rather than later. Yeah. By the end of this week, by the end of this this episode, check it off, (laughs) get it done. And it's not nearly as hard as it used to be. No, we'll talk about all of that. I also remember the first time I was kind of covered by life insurance. I don't think I bought it because at the time it was an employment benefit. It was my first big job. And at that time I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids or anything, but I remember calling my dad and telling him like, yo, I get life insurance as a part of this job. It's one year salary. And that I was going to be putting him as the beneficiary. Like I called him like, yo, you'll get this money if I die. (laughs) And I had questions because at the time the company offered the ability to pay more to get a bigger coverage. Yes. Yes. It was the baseline coverage. And then there was a. Yeah, that was free. You can buy up. But you you could add $10 and, you know, have two years salary or three Mm -hmm. years salary. And I remember asking him as the beneficiary, like, yo, how much did you how much would you want if I died? And he thought it was such a weird question. And he had to explain to me, like, no, like, take advantage of the total comp, like, obviously get the one year base salary, but don't add anything to it because you can use that money for other things. And obviously he was not financially dependent on me at that time for expenses. So there wasn't a need for a large policy in his mind. But it, you know, for me, it felt good knowing that if I passed, they wouldn't be financially burdened by any expense. And like, he took that opportunity to teach me the actual purpose of the tool and to not see it as some sort of wealth building opportunity for the family. Yeah. So I think the first place we want to start is just kind of talking about who even needs life insurance? And my answer is pretty simple. I don't know if you have a, a different answer, but I think you need life insurance, need life insurance. If there's anyone who depends on you financially and you don't have enough money in your accounts, whether it's bank account or investment accounts to cover that need. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. So overall, you know, I, I try to avoid that question, but generally speaking, I agree with your assessment. Yeah. So if you are a parent and your children are dependent on your income, and if you die, your family would need to replace that lost income, you really need to look at life insurance as a product to protect what you would have been bringing home. And you also need to look beyond just traditional income, because even if you are a stay-at-home parent and you're providing your family this huge benefit of childcare, that's a financial benefit. Getting a policy would cover the expenses that are associated with childcare should you pass before that is done. 
And even beyond just the roles that you play in your family, you have to think about the assets you have. Maybe you have a primary mortgage and your spouse wouldn't be able to handle that debt without your income. Maybe it's rental properties and you've got tenants and people who are dependent on that income. Mm -hmm. If you plan to take care of your parents as they age, you want to make sure that you have a policy that kind of takes into consideration all of those plans and protects the risk that you may not be able to fulfill them. Yeah. So let's dive in. Let's start with uh, what kind of policy to get. And again, there are lots, lots of insurance products out there. I'm actually quite impressed at how creative insurance companies have, have gotten over the years to try to get more people insured. But generally speaking, they can be categorized into two buckets. There's whole and term. So a term protects you from a certain period of time. This is typically between 10 and 30 years. And this means that when you get a term life insurance policy, if you die during the term period and your account is in good standing, meaning you've paid your premiums, you've not done anything to sort of trigger a cancellation or disruption of that policy, then the beneficiaries that you've assigned receive what's called the cash benefit according to your policy. Right. Very simple. This is exactly one of the examples that you just said. Now, if you die after the term, there is no payout. Right. Like you die on that 31st year mm -hmm. after you've had a 30 year policy on that 11th year after you've had a 10 year policy. There is no payout. You have to figure out some other way to account for whatever it is that plan was supposed to solve for. But whole or universal life covers you for your entire life. And as a result, the premiums for whole or universal life policies are a lot higher, but it guarantees your beneficiaries some kind of death benefit, some kind of cash payout, regardless of when you pass away. Now, this is one of the reasons this topic, again, is so contentious because there's a school of thought that says we can't predict when we'll go. So we should prepare for the worst. And let's just make sure that there's, you know, something that is passed on and people start incorporating things like legacy and wealth building and all those things. It's like everybody do their part to ensure that we're lifting the family up. But then there's the other side that says the cost of preparing for the worst is just too high. It's too complex. And then the opportunity cost of investing just a little differently is way too high. And we're going to get into that momentarily. Yeah, I think the popularity of whole life, universal life, whatever you want to call it, these policies is an interesting play on human psychology because in most cases, people are remarkably pessimistic about how long they're going to live. Right. It's what we talked about last week. They don't set aside money for retirement. They don't plan for care. They don't do any of the things to sort of prepay for life beyond their working years until an insurance rep comes along and attaches this fix right. and then they jump on it. I think the best way to think about it is that whole life insurance is sold and it's sold in the same way their timeshares are sold. I was just about sold. to say, this sounds like the, the, the timeshare. Right? Yeah. It's a sold good. It's a sold good. It's kind of a suck. Some people <laughs> are out there looking for it. But yeah, okay. but like go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. It's a couple episodes back. But it's sold the same way that timeshares are sold. They overemphasize the benefits and highlight that not only do you get lifelong protection, but that your premiums accumulate this cash value over time and that you can use it. 
you know, for anything that life brings. They focus on the tax advantages as if they're unique. They use fear tactics and talk, talk about, about the, the downside. Is, yeah. <laughs> is this your pet? Like <laughs> all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. They, they, you know, talk about the downsides of only being insured for a term. Mm-hmm. And so you shell out several hundred dollars, maybe even thousand dollars in premiums every month. And they earn a commission, which is a percentage of the premium that you're paying. Yeah. Now, the question is, how much of that commission is is theirs? How much of that premium is a commission? I'm glad you're talking about this because I, I, I thought you were skating away from this. Like, there's a reason why this stuff is so heavily promoted because it's very lucrative very for them. Lucrative. Like, it's like, there's a reason why people say, well, you're, you're solving problems. You're saving lives and you will be paid handsomely for oh it. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. According to NerdWallet, the commissions vary based on the company, but they can receive anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of the premiums. In the first year, yeah. right? So that means if you pay $10,000 of premiums in the first year, they're getting anywhere from six dollars to $8,000 of it. Yep. Now, I will say anecdotally, that seems underemphasized. That seems like sandbagging because I have heard of insurance agents and special bonuses that are receiving over 100% commission. Right. The company actually gives them the value of the premiums that they're paying in the form of commission. And then after the first year, they can earn smaller commissions over the subsequent years. So you kind of want to think of this the same way you would an amortization schedule on your mortgage. For those of you that are homeowners, you know that in the early years, the bank takes most of the money that you're paying in the form of those monthly payments and uses it as interest to protect themselves. And then later on, they start to apply more to the principal. That's when in these policies, you have that cash value that you can start to borrow from and use for life expenses. I actually, this is confession time, I actually bought a whole life policy when I was in my late 20s. And fortunately, but you had all kinds of policies when we first met. <laughs> I did. I was overinsured. Everything. I was an easy target. If it was I out had, there and you didn't have it, it was like I had homeowners, bingo. jewelry, car, flood. You name wind, it, she had short term, long term, long term <laughs> mental health, insurance, on the insurance, umbrella, insurance. everything. Covered. <laughs> she was covered. I was more in covered. I was basically a bubble. Drenched. Just drenched in shorts. So I, I did have a whole life policy for a short period of time. I was able to get out of it within a couple of years. And I took a hit financially, but nothing that, you know, nothing that wasn't recoverable. But I was paying $500 a month, yeah. $6,000 a year. And again, this was before being married, before having a child. And it wasn't until I found the personal finance community and kind of talked to my dad again about what I had signed up for that I that I switched and got a simple term policy for $10 a month at that time and took the rest of the money and started to max out other investment accounts and and contribute to brokerages and redirect that that money so that I could get a different outcome. Yeah, I think there's also something to be said about just the power in simplicity and streamlining your life. And like so much of this is psychological too, right? And I think we're, we're probably going to get into that. I'm debating whether or not I'm going to share a more personal story because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I never know if anyone's out there listening that we know personally. Uh, but yeah, like insurance is just one of those things that uh, going back to when I... Uh, I'm tempted to say radicalized, you know, but really started to understand the intricacies of money and some of these core products or pillars of personal finance. And I remember feeling a very similar way about insurance as I did 
uh, a certain subsection of financial advisors, which is that they, in many ways, preyed upon the insecure and the weak and said, listen, you're not doing any of these things to advance your life or your worthiness. I've got a tool for you. And it's part my ingenuity, part, you know, all of these things that's going to be working on your behalf. And like people end up parting ways with significant percentages of their hard earned money in the hope that these things or the combination of these things are going to pan out. And I had just reached a certain point in my life. I was old enough to look back and say, how many people did I know did this? How many stories or successful stories can I recollect? Uh, and then when I complement to that or, or, or also looked at some of the data and started thinking about, all right, I have these personal, these anecdotal stories. And then we see the percentage of people's wealth that are lost to fees or lost to commissions and all those things. And you start to realize that these two worlds actually work and act together. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like, wow, like it's almost like there's this invisible tax agency, right? Like we all agree that we have to pay taxes to federal and state governments, depending on what state you're in. But it also feels like there's like this invisible agency that is taxing people and taking 20 to 30 percent of their income over certain periods of time. And it's not really amounting to anything that actually benefits them. So all of that to say, I remember when you went to that realization, I remember when I came to my own, but I never really sort of fell into the trap too deeply on the insurance side. So it's really, really interesting. And I would imagine even now there are some people who are listening to you recollect your your experience and saying, Wait, wait, wait I just what, signed up what's, what's wrong with having multiple policies and yeah. that, that are duplicative and like are costing me thousands of dollars every single month? Like, what, what do you mean? So it's, it's a very sensitive topic, right? Because yeah. it can make people feel very insecure. So hopefully we can add a little bit of uh, clarity and comfort in this conversation. Yeah, I think part of the confusion is what I said at the top of the episode. Part of the confusion is that what used to just be a financial product that was meant to protect Mm -hmm. or replace the income lost from death is now positioned as a wealth building tool. I don't know if the insurance company stole the investment management company shtick or if it was the other way around. (laughs) There was definitely some co-mingling there. Absolutely. For sure. And it makes it interesting to like segment these, like, are these all financial companies? (laughs) But like for the purposes of the, of, of this podcast episode and for the purposes of the counsel that we give, the advice and things that we recommend. Life insurance is simply insuring against the risk that you die. But when you bundle it with a bunch of other investment products, that's when you get versions of life insurance that include words like variable, universal, cash valued, or indexed. That's the new one. Indexed universal life insurance. I feel like they're capitalizing on the recent favorability of index funds, right? It's yes. like, oh, do you like the word index? Do you like investing in index funds? Well, this is very similar. Like, don't you like that? Doesn't that word scream uh, positivity and, and self-empowerment to you? Well, yes. I've got a life insurance policy for you. And it's like, yeah, except it's not the same. Well, th- this is how it works. You're exactly right. With IULs, instead of IUL, meaning index universal life insurance, yeah. with IULs, instead of your cash value growing on a fixed interest rate that you agreed to when you signed your policy, the IULs tie the cash value of your policy to whatever the stock market is doing. The difference between index fund investing and IULs is that IULs cap your earnings, which is a whole nother story that nobody gets into. But probably what's more important to realize 
is that bundling is a way that they hide a bunch of fees. Which is the opposite of the intent of index fund investing. Exactly. If you understand index fund investing, which I would imagine many of our listeners do, especially if you've been listening for a long period of time, you understand the value and the benefit that comes from eliminating the middleman. So when you sign up for a life insurance policy that is sort of tapping into the feel-good notion of the value of index fund investing, but then through that act, you create and volunteer to have a middleman middle man. is counterintuitive. It Which is exactly what happens. So when you, when insurance companies say, give us your money and we'll invest it <laughs> and guarantee a return to you, the returns for them become uncertain because no one can predict market volatility yeah. or the timing of your death, to be honest. And so they cover their bases with fees. They yeah. absolutely make sure that they do not lose from this product. Yeah. And I think the other, maybe even darker part of this is how many policies just aren't paid out because of a lapse in payment. So again, because this policy covers you your whole life, you have to keep paying the premium your whole life. (laughs) With many policies, the only time you can possibly adjust your premiums or skip them is when it's accumulated enough of a cash value to cover your premiums. So you're eroding Which basically, correct. And I think so many people see that as a bit of a perk. It was like, oh, it pays for itself. It was like, no, you paid for it. And now it's paying for itself through your reward. Like, that's not a flex. That is like backwards, you know? But again, like this is, oh gosh, I try not to get too worked up. But like, this is one of the things that I think really get people kind of confused. So if you have a disruption basically in income that lasts longer than the grace period, that policy is kaput. It's canceled. And if you do get a check from the insurance companies, it's net everything that they've taken out, which is usually less everything that's owed to you, assuming that policy was up to date. And so again, you spend your whole life paying a premium that goes into this cash benefit. They invest this money on your behalf, net all the funny stuff that they do with it. You have a lapse, any kind of issue, even if you do get a a benefit, a net payout or payout, it's going to be net all of those things, right? And again, that's actually favorable compared to the majority of people who don't get anything, right? right? So you're like, you're actually winning, you know, by that measure. Every time this topic comes up, I cannot, I, I, I have to talk about it and I will be sensitive to this person's name, but we have a family friend and it feels like every single time we hang out, we see them, we get to talking about life insurance. And I think the, one of the times not too long ago, uh, they were talking about their life insurance policy. And and I could tell from the way that they were talking about it that there was just so much pride in it. Basically, they've got this million-dollar policy. And you could tell that on the mantle of financial wins that they had for their family, like this was the big one. Like this was the thing that they were most proud of. And I was kind of saddened by that, but like also a little bit disturbed because I can only imagine what that does to their psychology. Like when you start to realize that you believe that the greatest thing that you can do for your children is die because upon your death, they will supposedly be gifted or granted this thing. And and we were talking about it and we were talking about money because oftentimes we get lured into these conversations. But They were talking about it as if it was on their balance sheet, like as a cash asset, right? As if it's already there. Like I went and bought this thing. I got access to the thing. And I was like, well, that's that's not how that works, right? right? Like there's a lot that has to happen before that happens. And no, by the way, like that shouldn't be something that we're looking forward to. Like I don't want to judge your parenting or anything like that. But like I, I, I bring this up because I hear this 
so often yes. from people and there's so much content and distorted messages from my point of view about these kinds of things. And I think it really gets in the way of people making smart, savvy decisions about their money. So pe- so many people- For living. For living, right? They, they miscategorize life insurance payouts as if they've already earned it. And the reality is you haven't. Like you got to keep that policy up to date throughout medical scares, throughout downturns, throughout layoffs, recessions, all of this stuff. And furthermore, even after death or entering death, like your hope is that some other thing doesn't happen that triggers like a deterioration of that cash value. And so it's like, it's something that I really, really want some of us to sit and think about and then explore a few simpler alternative paths to protecting yourself and providing some type of payout for the people who are going to benefit from us. Let me just call out a couple of stats here. So according to the Wall Street Journal, 20% of whole life policies are terminated in the first three years and 40% are terminated in the first 10 years, right? That's a troubling amount there. And there's a reason for that. Furthermore, there are so many fees rolled into these policies. There are annual charges to Kirsten's point with respect to the cash value being invested by your insurance company, which is acting like a financial company. So there are transaction costs uh, that are associated to that. And you're paying for those things. There are the commissions that are paid to agents. We talked about that. Again, you're paying for that. Then on top of all of that, while they may be promoting the fact that you can withdraw from it at certain periods of time, if you're not right, then that might trigger a taxable event. So now you're going to end up paying fees and taxes on that income. And then on top of all of that, they are investing this money on your behalf. And if slash when those funds underperform, which 90% of them do mm-hmm. relative to what the market can do through a simple total stock market index fund. On top of all of that, you're most likely being invested into financial products that have a history of underperforming the market. Mm -hmm. So these are all of the different things and ways I think that we can just simplify our critique of these kinds of products. That's not to say that they don't work for some people. That's not to say that there aren't success stories for some people, but I don't know many of those people. And we're talking to rich and regular people. And so for most of us, regular, upwardly mobile working class or upper middle class folks, or even those who are a little further above, more often than not, I think you can say that these types of products are not ideal for you. All right. And I think it's pretty clear where we stand on universal or whole life policies. Sure, like Julia mentioned, there are some fringe cases where it makes sense. But for the overwhelming majority of Americans, buying a term policy and investing the difference in low cost index funds yields a better financial result. Yeah. So let's talk about how to buy term, how much your policy should be, and how much it's all going to cost you. So before you start shopping for a policy, you'll want to determine how much coverage you need. And again, I'm encouraging you to treat it as just an insurance product. Mm -hmm. Think about the risks associated with your death and the subsequent loss of financial support, and not about all the hopes and dreams and legacy that you have for your family and your life. Let's just focus on the risks associated with the loss of income. Right. Right. Now, there are a lot of rules of thumb out there. Some of them say 10 to 12 times your income plus an extra $100,000 for each minor child. There's also the DIME framework. DIME is an acronym for debt, income, mortgage, and education as a reminder of the things that you need to think about when you're landing on a number. But for most people, I would just recommend using a combination of an online calculator which can be tricky because some of them are lead generation for insurance companies and may inflate the amount of insurance that you actually need. 
So use a combination of vetted calculators and then just some common sense. At the end of the day, you know how much you already have saved or how much you plan to save while you're still working and living. You know how much you provide for others more than any other person. So like tweak the formula to make it your own. You know what I'm saying? Like use a combination of art and science. Yeah. So how do you find it? Well, one of the common mistakes we see is that people assume that the life insurance policy they have through their job is enough. And typically, not only is it not enough coverage because it's typically a derivative of your salary, but it's also usually contingent upon employment. So you leave that job, that benefit goes away. It's not like you carry it with you. So it makes sense for you to buy your own policy, which is separate from your employer. We give similar advice when we're talking about investing because so many people become so tied into the fact that they invest because they have a 401k. But yeah, what about when you're not employed? What about when that employer goes away? What about when there's disruption? All of those things I think are really, really important. And I think it just gives a much greater sense of self-empowerment. So you don't need to get rid of your employer plan, right? We're not asking you to do that, especially if it's free uh, or you got it when you were younger. You can just buy another one. Just know that each policy is going to have its own terms and conditions, and you may need to do a medical exam or provide other information to get approved for multiple policies. The easiest way to do this is through a platform called Policy Genius. They make it super easy to compare quotes, and a really cool feature of Policy Genius is that if you've previously been turned down for life insurance because of a depression diagnosis or some, what do they call it? Pre something pre-existing. Con- pre-existing condition. It allows you to filter for companies that basically allow for that, which takes away the kind of guesswork and, and makes the process easier. Sites like NerdWallet also offer a bit of a comparison tool, but I think Policy Genius gets much more granular because that is their primary focus. If you prefer a more hands-on approach or you just need somebody by your side, you can also work with a broker. Preferably, this is a fee-only broker, which might be a little tricky to find, uh, but you can find brokers that are typically independent agents. They don't work for any specific company, but they walk you through uh, the process. They assess sort of your needs as inputs. They do all of that heavy work for you and make some recommendations to guide you in the right direction. Yeah, they're kind of like travel agents. They're like, I was just going to say, it's like a travel agent for life insurance. Uh, we actually use a company called Ethos. And I mean, it's been a really simple process. And it's because we are tech favorability. We're early, I don't adopters. Know. We're early adopters is what the <laughs> word is. But like, I love tech stuff. It's simple. It's fast. They are a tech sort of algorithm powered company. I want to say they're less than 10 years old, but they are credible. There's tons of research uh, and information about them. You can get a quote literally in minutes. You don't need a medical examination for most policies that I would consider to be reasonable, even beyond reasonable. So they offer policies anywhere from $20,000 to let's say $2 million uh, for 10 10, 15, 20, 30-year terms. Uh, And according to their website, 95% of applicants qualify with rates as low as $10 a month. So in that assumption, because I looked at the fine print, they said, this is assuming you are a healthy 24-year-old female who wants a 10-year term with a $100,000 payout. Now, it's not to suggest that a 30-year-old, 40-year-old is going to have wildly different numbers, but I just want to do the simple, simple math on this, right? Looking at a term policy, $10 a month, for 12 months, $120. You multiply that by 10 years, that's $1,200. If something were to happen to you and you passed away over a 10-year period, the beneficiary of that account would receive $100,000. Now, you may say, ah, oh, well, I could do something else with that $1,200. 
I'd be hard pressed to find somebody that can turn $1,200 into $100,000 in 12 months. Standard rate of return at 10%. If you had invested that money, you might end up a quarter of the way there with around $25,000. So again, it's a simple, simple uh, tool product. And again, like that's just a 10 year term. Like you can extend that to 30 years. And obviously the payout is going to be a little bit different. Obviously the premium is going to be a little bit different, but I think it gives you a really simple benchmark into how much term policies are costing these days, how quick it can be. And I just want to reinforce, you will not need a medical exam for the vast majority of people. Again, I think they said 95% of people qualify for those kinds of policies. All right. I think that's a perfect segue into how much it costs. It depends. Very similar to health insurance, your premium is going to be based on a variety of factors, which is why so many people encourage you to buy life insurance early. Maybe one day we'll do an episode on how insurance companies and actuaries create risk pools, but everything is based on risk of death. So your age, if you're younger, the risk of you dying during the term is lower, and so is your premium. That's why a 24-year-old female is only charged $10 a month. Gender is another factor. Women typically pay less than men because they have a longer life expectancy, generally speaking. Your health status also plays a big role. If you have a history of health problems, you're considered higher risk and may have to pay a higher premium or take the medical exam to get coverage. Lifestyle, also a factor. If you're a heavy smoker or drinker or participate in high-risk activities like extreme sports, skydiving, bungee jumping, even rock climbing, There are even some jobs like law enforcement or construction that may be considered high risk. I'm not saying this to scare you or to make you think that you can't get life insurance as easy as Julian says through a click of a button. Every company has its own underwriting guidelines and policies regarding lifestyle and high risk activities. And some even offer specialized coverage for those types of things. But if you fall into a number of categories and you don't find it as simple as just clicking around on Policy Genius, it may be worth looking for an independent broker who can ensure that you get the right coverage at a price that fits your budget. Yeah. And the last but certainly not least, the coverage amount and the term length impact how high your premium is going to be. So if you need, let's say, $3 million, let's say $2 million was enough and then 30 years wasn't enough, you wanted it for the next 40 years, you're going to pay a little bit more for that versus someone who may need or just want $500,000 of coverage for the next 30 years. Uh, but even after that, even if you're the person who needs a $3 million policy, term life is still affordable because it's designed to be. It's not inflated with fees. It's not overly complicated. There's no other component that requires someone to actively manage your money. There's no cash value, any of that stuff. And it doesn't last your entire life. So if you looked on Policy Genius and even me, just as a 42-year-old man who's fairly healthy, fairly, I'm healthy for the most part. I get a cold every now and then, allergies. But $3 million policy for the next 20 years would cost me anywhere from $186 to $367 a month. So let's let's call it $250 bucks or $3,000 a year. Again, $250 a month, $3 million payout upon my death. That's, you know. Not bad. That's not bad. You know, <laughs> I pat myself on the back, if you will. But again, you know, if I take it down to $1 million, it's become something like $64 to $125 a month. About the amount I blow on sushi. 
you know, right. a month or something <laughs> like that. And so I think that's really the way that a lot of people really should be thinking about it. And I also think very similar to estate planning and wills, so many of us are operating under this old way of doing things that they feel like it's going to be time consuming. It's they say, man, I don't have time for that. It's going to take me weeks. It's not like that anymore, guys. Yeah. Like it's really, really simple. And that's one of the reasons why we, you know, freely promoted that product because it's out there. We want you guys to know that it's out there. By the way, even going back to this other company uh, called Tomorrow.me, which used to be an estate planning company, they got absorbed by Ethos. They got bought out by Ethos. So if you do decide to go with that company and you haven't gotten that part done, you can also get your estate planning done with them. Right. Like They do all of those things and all of it is tech enabled these days. This stuff takes maybe the afternoon so you can get it done which is i think how we started this podcast like hopefully we get somebody to say oh i thought it was going to take forever like it's not like that anymore so if you're on a road trip you're in the gym and you're thinking about it and it's been on your list but you just feel like oh this is going to take forever and get my paperwork together you know i did hey let's just keep it real oh i smoked a joint last year and it might still be in my system they're not even they don't care about that (laughs) stuff anymore guys like get covered don't overcomplicate it and get it done. Well, the stuff that they care about, they already know. This Correct. is what big data They factored means. it into. They know you smoke. They yeah. know you. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> they smoke too. Yeah, they know you rock climb. It's all factored into the quote that they spit out. Like, this is the world that we live in. They know your lifestyle, which is why they can give you a quote in minutes. Right. All right. Final thoughts. Let's do it. So this is one of those conversations where we're not just talking about something that is important. We're talking about something that is urgent. We all know about the economic volatility that the pandemic has cost us, but it's also led to a significant increase in mortality risk. And so insurance companies are tightening their underwriting guidelines. They're increasing their premiums, especially if you are older and have a pre-existing medical condition. And we haven't defined what the pre-existing medical conditions are going to be on the other side of this. So if you're eligible to get a life insurance policy now, You should get one now. I don't have to tell y'all how capitalism works, but I assure you, I assure you that insurance companies are closely monitoring the situation and adapting their underwriting and pricing strategies to reflect the changing risk environment. That's a fancy way of saying the price is going to go up after all of this. Once they can assess what is the new life expectancy, what is the new mortality risk of people who have had COVID one time, two times, are experiencing long COVID, who have gained weight, all of these things they can factor into this product and make it unaffordable in the same way that housing and a number of other things have become unaffordable. So you just want to be on the right side of the change. If you have the opportunity to get a policy then go on and get you one. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You, you stole my thunder and my final thought earlier too, but I'm going to say it anyway. When people think about financial tools or keys or pillars, like insurance and investing are always up there. There was this old adage of like the stool, you know, like this idea that you've got to have your, your, your short-term bucket, your long-term buckets, all those things. Insurance and investing are always going to be up there, right? Especially if you've ever had a conversation with a financial advisor. At its core, insurance is a product used to provide stability if or when something bad happens. It is not a tool designed to build wealth. Like that's what investments are for. That's a different leg. That's a different pillar. That's a different product altogether. So when we're talking about investing, we're introducing this element and understanding of of risk 
Uh, you've got to consider some of the other things that you're investing. Like it gets, it, it's, it is intentionally uh, blurry and muddier because you're asking it one leg of the stool to do the work of another leg. And then things just get confusing. And I think that's part of the reason why people are so confused. When it comes to whole life, I find that people are looking for a tool that solves for wealth building and emergency and cash flow. It's like you're asking this leg to do multiple things. Be and the like, arm and the, be the ear arm, and the eye. Be the leg, solve for today, solve for the yeah. midterm and solve for the future. You're going to pay for that. Right. And so I think the idea here is to just be clear on the problem that you're trying to solve and use a tool that is focused on solving that. Like, don't muddy the water, like separate the two, streamline it, use investment products to invest, use insurance products to insure. And in all things, be mindful of exorbitant or underlying fees that erode from the value of either one of those. And I think if you stick to those core principles, you'll you'll be fine. Love it. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. You know, your public ratings and reviews are like term life for this podcast. They are affordable and they're highly effective. So if you like what you heard, you can leave us a five-star rating and review on the Apple rating review page and we will see y'all next week. See you.